Hey, it's Melissa Rivers, and welcome to Group Text. Stay tuned for a new episode. Hey everyone, welcome to Group Text. Uh, anyone who knows me knows that I am a sports fanatic. I am a frustrated sportscaster. Um, I am a an incredible armchair athlete, and I am very excited to talk to my guest today, who is someone I've wanted to talk to forever. Please welcome Summer Sanders. Melissa. Hi. Thank you. That makes me feel so. First of all, I love the fact that you love sports so much, but I'm thrilled that you've wanted to talk to me because I have wanted to talk to you. And now we finally are making it happen. So there you thank you. Because you have had a fascinating life and career. But before we get into all that, we got to talk about the Olympics. Yes. Something you can really talk firsthand about from two different levels from as a competitor and gold medal winner, but also as a broadcaster. Because I think a lot, it, it a lot came out this year that we've never talked about before. Um, obviously, the big story has been Simone Biles. Mm-hmm. Um, the pressure, yeah, that athletes face, and people really don't talk about it. I think Michael Phelps has been very open about it. That basically he had nervous breakdowns between every Olympics. Um, he was really one of the first ones to talk about that. How did you handle the pressure and how important is it that the media covered the story about mental health this year? Um, I'll answer the second part first. Okay. The fact that the media addressed it and spoke about it in a true and honest and in-depth way about mental health with Olympic athletes is vital. It's vital. I mean, because you have to remember a majority of these athletes are young kids and we have young kids. So you put that pressure on top of all of the pressures that they have, and it can be overwhelming. It fills their cup and overflows, and it's just too much. Um, the pressure is intense. Uh, I made my Olympic team in 1992. So remember this, everybody, no cell phones. Yep. Internet was just kind of like something you heard about maybe off in the distance, but no one knew what it was. Certainly no social media or any of those pressures. Um, so it was a much simpler time. Um, if that's even a word, more simple, simpler, um, no simpler. I can, I can work with simpler. Thank you. Um, (laughs) yeah. So, but I still walked in there, Melissa, with these expectations that were, were created by the media. I was swimming five events. So they expected me to win five gold medals. My heart told me you'll probably do what you did at the world championship, which is a bronze, a silver, a gold, and then a gold in the relay. Um, but I started to believe, well, well, maybe this is possible. And certainly what I felt after each of my non-gold races, because the question was, you just won bronze, you must be so disappointed, was that I was letting people down. Right. And I never, we don't want to let people down. Nobody no. does, especially type A Olympians who are let's just pleasers, pleasers. So yeah, it's a very real deal. I'm glad it's being talked about. Um, people always say, what was it like winning a gold medal? And I say, when I touched the wall, my first feeling was relief. And I for- forever held on to that as that's a shame, that that was my first feeling, you know? Uh, that's And that's fascinating to hear because you think it would be exhilaration. Right. I mean, and you came in with huge expectations. You were the NCAA Swimmer of the Year twice. 
Stanford. I mean, you were and the big story. How did well, yeah. how did you manage it? I know. Interesting. Even my friends, my best girlfriend, Heidi, who really helped me at Stanford during that time. Actually, all my roommates did, but they kept me grounded. Right. And I had that foundation of what was real. You know, if you look at your structure of your human person, you have to look at your foundation. It needs to be solid. It can't be based on loose bricks and rocks and all this. And and maybe they like me because I was an Olympic swimmer or maybe they like me because of this. No, my people love me. Right. Um, so how did you, ha- how did I handle it? I, it's hard. And I wrote papers, you brought up Stanford. I wrote two papers after the Olympics, one titled the chosen one, which is this double edged sword of, I mean, I was so grateful that I was chosen. It was my name. I'd qualified in four individual events and a relay swimming is kind of a fun sport. And one of the highlights of the Olympics So I was one of the chosen ones to highlight. I was grateful for that opportunity, but it comes with a price. Um, And then I wrote a paper on the Olympic blues, which is what happens right now is, you know, keep in touch with your Olympian friends and remind them that they're amazing because of who they are, not because of the medals that they won. And invite them to things that are just normal, barbecues and this and that. And don't talk about the Olympics. Just get them back to normal life as smoothly and seamlessly as you possibly can, because there is this letdown. Well, what you just brought up two things that I hadn't really thought about, and I find them fascinating. First of all, you actually were having a fairly normal college experience in the sense that you had roommates, you had social activities. And I feel like now very often everyone is so specialized that you know, younger athletes are not given a normal life. And the, the console of that is what's even more interesting to me is you went back to school. You know why I went back to school? I, I, needed, I needed that normal life. And, and what a great place. I mean, I am biased. I love my university. I love being an alumni of Stanford University. But if, there's a, if there is a place where you want to go to be humbled, I mean, you have to think at that time, like Google was being invented and Yahoo was over here. Right. You know, everybody's outstanding at whatever they're there for. I was just one of many Olympians that were hitting the ground back at school. But mostly I just, you know, I have, I have, I have really good family um, from my dad and my mom to my brother. Um, it was my friends, like I said, who made it very clear. Uh, even my girlfriend, how funny is this? She said, where are you living? Because I took a quarter off after the Olympics to work because I'd given up my eligibility and now I was going to try and make money. And my dad said, you can do that as long as you can pay your Stanford tuition. So I had that weight on my shoulders, which was perfect. It was fine. Which is, which is vastly different what these athletes have now. Right. Which is money, 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 money. Exactly. Exactly. He was just like, if you want to fulfill this dream, because I knew I wanted to work in television. If you want to fulfill this dream, that's fine. You need to be able to pay for your Stanford education. So I would write that extremely long check. I mean, writing out the money amount that took up the entire line. Yes. Um, every single quarter, right? Which was yep. a very big deal. But my girlfriend said, what are you doing for the fall quarter? Where are you living? And I said, I don't know. I mean, I was kind of like a little hippie kid. I'm like, I'll figure it out. It'll all work itself out. And she goes, no, you need to be grounded. 
and you need to have a place. So I shared a room with her off campus. It was the smallest room. My dresser who my, that I borrowed from the landlord that was in the garage, I put a piece of plywood on it and a futon on top of that. And that served as my dresser, my bed, and my desk. That's where I lived for my entire junior year at Stanford. That's crazy. It's crazy, but it was the best decision because it was not glamorous. It was imperfect, but I was with like, it was a duplex, six on top, six on the bottom, 12 of my girlfriends. We all lived together and that was normal, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. Do you, th- do you think that's why you didn't implode while you, and, but there's a whole generation, which I find really interesting that all went on to have normal lives. And it's not just about being a spokesperson or being the face of, or all this crazy money, which they all, everyone deserves, you know, from all these companies. Was it Eric Hyden is like an orthopedist. Debbie Thomas is like a neurosurgeon. You've made the transition into a very successful life. Um, Do you think the simpler times made that possible? It could have. I mean, I've said often, I I don't wish to be an Olympian in this day and age. I don't wish. That's fascinating. Yeah. I mean, I'm proud of all these amazing athletes, but I look at them in awe on so many levels, Melissa. It's not just their athleticism but it's the fact that they can strive for their perfection in this world of, and I'm using, I know I'm on a podcast, but I'm using these air quotes of perfection. Um, in with this the world, world watching. With the world watching where perfection is, is non-existent and, and imperfection should be celebrated, right? Right. Imperfection, frankly, with these athletes is what got them to where they are all of the many failures and hiccups and imperfections along the way is what made them tougher, stronger, mentally more focused, um, freeing of themselves to be a bit more imperfect. And then you go into these environments and it's really hard to be strong enough, especially as a teenager in early twenties. I mean, do you remember, I remember what I was like, I was a mess when I was in my early twenties, forget about it. Oh my God. I mean, I was, we were disasters. Yeah. So, right. So you're trying to figure all of that out and take on the expectations coming from all these different areas. I'm in awe that they can do it. And I hold my breath for many reasons. I want them to, to be successful and win at whatever medal they want to, or get whatever time they're desiring. But I want them to fully and wholeheartedly in the deep of their soul, know why they're great and who they really are. Um, anyway, yeah, I look at my medals and I'm, I'm equally proud of my bronze and silver as I am of my golds, just, which by the way, the moment. Simone Biles said that exact thing. I think it was this morning in an interview, which she should, but what, mm-hmm. I, I, on a total side note, how about the skateboarders all being 12 and 13? I know, I know. And, but also Melissa, how about this? I did love both skateboarding and surfing. Those two communities are so tight. Yes. They're so tight. They were cheering for everyone. They were hugging everyone. It was as if whomever won the medals at these games won the medals for the entire community. And I really felt that. And I thought, oh my God, I love these kids. Could you imagine sending your 13 year old off to Tokyo without you? I know. I know. I mean, I'm sitting here looking at my son who's 13 and thinking, oh, it'd be pretty cool. 
be pretty cool. But with that community, yeah, I would. Yeah. 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 Um, you started, I mean, I guess my, 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 one of my questions I had was you started swimming when you were four, which crazy relative hurled you in the pool and said, give it a whirl. <laughs> so everybody, she has a pillow behind her that says California. So I was born and raised in Northern California. Love NorCal. Outside, yes. Just outside of Sacramento. So in the Valley where we get up to like 110, 115, really hot in the summertime. Ev, it was really the only sport that I could get into besides co-ed soccer, but every kid does summer rec swimming. And the most important kid on that roster was my brother. And so whatever my brother did, who's two and a half years older than me, I did. And it just so happened I wanted to do it when I was four. So I was this pudgy little kid. My hair didn't grow. I mean, really, my hair didn't grow. What are you? So you were like a baldy? I was a bit of a baldy. Yeah. I didn't have a haircut until I was like six. Really? Oh, no, no. It was awesome (laughs) and horrendous. I'd have a long piece on one side and a short piece on the other. And I just thought it was the most beautiful thing ever when it would grow. And I would just, you know, look in the mirror and (laughs) blow at myself because I had a tiny little long section of my hair. Um, Put a little tiny bow in it. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I would highlight the longer section and maybe well kept. Um, And I had this round, round body and I just showed up and, and they said, if she can swim a lap of the pool, she can be on the team. And they wanted me to be six. But my mom, I did want to join year round swimming. And my mom made me wait until I was seven. And I was. Oh, well, that's a solid decision. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Derek, with all the years of training and it did, was there a point where you said, I can't do this. I don't want to do it. I'm sick of it. I'd rather go to hang out with my friends at the mall. Yes. And so I quit twice. Really? Yes, I did. Totally. If anybody says they never had that feeling, they're totally lying. Um, Here's what I did. I was, I was, I think I was in junior high. And just like you said, I was so intrigued by what my friends were doing after school, like the leisure attitudes they had about life, no schedule, no pressure of like wondering if you're going to be stepping into the hardest workout of your life. So I said, I want to try that out. And I did. And what we would do every day is we'd walk to thrifty drugstore and get those 15 cent ice cream. We used to do it with the square, the the square ice cream. Yeah. Yes. And then you'd really go all out and you'd get the 30 cent double decker. Maybe. Yes. Thrifty had the best ice cream, the the rainbow sherbet. Boom. Done. Yeah. So we did that and we'd hang out for a little bit. And then before I knew it, it was two hours later. And that was the same amount of time that I'd be done with swim practice. And I was like, wait, we didn't do anything except get ice cream cone. And so um, that was probably about a month. And then I went back to swimming. I retired again to be a cheerleader. Um, and that was a very short-lived career because I have zero grace and motivation. <laughs> um, but I tried it and it was awesome. And then, you know, when I was 14, I, was, I wasn't the kindest teenager to anyone around me. And I was sort of, I was going through the motions. I was showing up at practice, but I wasn't really showing up with my mind. And right. that was showing uh, its true colors during competitions. And I wasn't doing well. But I have to say the only time, once I really decided I wanted to be great, the only time I questioned, why am I doing this? And it was exactly how you said it, Melissa. Why am I doing this? Was at Stanford a year and a half after the Olympic Games 
in the, like it was dark. It was the morning and I was in the middle of a 50 meter outdoor pool in the middle of a really hard set. And I said, why am I doing this? And that's when I knew I needed to retire for good. And so I did. It's amazing that you were able to make that decision and have the strength to do that and to go to your family and say, I'm done. Yeah, you're right to, to say it like that because it was, I mean, swimming to me was like eating, breathing, you know, brushing your teeth, swimming, right? Like now you take swimming out. It's like, can I actually exist? without it. And I'm, I don't, do you do pros and cons? I write things down. Yeah, I do in my, I do mental pros and cons list. Yeah. So I wrote it down. I remember where I was, is it Tresseter Union at Stanford, sitting outside writing my pros and my cons. And it was right there by myself that I just had this, I don't know, it was like this awesome lift off of me of like, this is the decision you're going to make. And it's a really tough decision, but it's right. And once you make it, you do, you feel like the weight of the world is suddenly off you. And also what you just said, which was really interesting is I've had those moments too, that were so profound in my life that you can literally remember exactly where you were. Absolutely. And I'll, I mean, I'll never forget what I wrote down. It was like, wasn't a lot, but I, I, I biked home as fast as I could. And I told the same best friend, Heidi, that I was going to retire. And it wasn't a shock to her at all. But it was, she just, the joy in my face and this, you know, look of like, what do you want to, let's go do something. What do you want to do? I got time on my hands, girl. Let's go have some fun. Um, and yeah, it was a really, it was a huge moment. How did your parents take it? Because anyone to become an elite athlete, their families do have to do a lot and sacrifice. Mm-hmm. So, you know, how did you handle that? How did your family, how, what did your brother think? Because you only started swimming because of him. You know, I think- and- yeah, I think my brother of all my family members was probably the least shocked. He was right there in the thick of things with me and saw all the pressures and expectations. Um, and he saw how difficult that was and the weight that it added to my joyful lightness of swimming. I loved my sport. It was the easiest thing I could have done, right, in, in the scheme of life. Um, so he, I think, understood it. I, you know, my mom and my dad, they divorced when I was seven, and funny enough, I think my sport is what brought them back together because many times they would be the only two parents there. And so they would just hang out with each other. So they became really good friends through swimming. And I mean, I know it now as a parent, my kids play their sports and it's fun to go to their events. And when they decide, oh, I don't want to do that anymore. You're like, oh, but I kind of liked that community. All right, let's move on to the next. But the, so I think they... They missed some of the excitement of it, but in the end, their their sole like sort of responsibility and and person to honor was me, and they wanted me to be happy. I mean, and that's that's fascinating. And you talk about that with your kids, which I want to get to your book that you wrote and find out more about you as a sports parent because I'm a terrible sports parent, <laughs> and I own it. I own it. I am. I could never do soccer now with these silent Saturdays, it would not, I would be standing in the parking lot. That's Um, hilarious. I love it. Yeah. So broadcasting, was Uh it what you always wanted to do? When did you know that was going to be your world or that's what you wanted to go to? I wanted, and I think this helped me transition out of swimming. So kind of, you know, bringing together all of our conversations, I wanted to work in television in some capacity ever since I wanted to be an Olympic swimmer. So really? they kind of, yeah, they kind of went hand in hand. My best girlfriend in high school, Heather, 
and I, we used to do like um, fake sitcoms. We didn't have a, we didn't have a tape recorder. I'm saying like tape recorder and like putting like a giant, you know, piece of yeah. equipment on my shoulder. That's how big they were back then. But we had a tape recorder. And so we would just press record on our tape recorder and we would do like our own little Kate and Allie. Do you remember Kate and Allie? Yes. Cute. Yeah. Kind of messed up because it was two divorced women. So we were high schoolers playing two divorced women, but um, so we would pretend to do that. I knew I wanted to be in front of the camera. Um, I just didn't know what capacity. And of course, swimming sort of helped me get in there. And then everything else, as you know, so well, you've got to audition and you have to put yourself out there in really scary situations and to be really judged, you know, and I just, I did that and I went for it. What was your first big break? Um, MTV. I oh, me too. <laughs> We're survivors. Yeah, MTV alum. So this was 1994, and I auditioned for a show called Sandblast. It was a sports competition show on MTV. Um, and my understanding is, is it came down to myself and Jenny McCarthy. So they were either going, you know, two different directions, right? Yeah. Jenny McCarthy is amazing, and she does what she does. Or they were going like sports side because I was, you know, just two years off of my Olympics. And so I did everything I could and went in there and, and that was it. And I, and I remember I was at world championships doing commentary for CBS for swimming world championships. And it was, oh my God, this is going to date me. And you're totally going to understand this. I'm at this hotel in Rome and I'm, I'm like, I forget even how I was communicating with my agent. Probably it through a walking. regular telephone. Exactly, exactly. And I just kept waiting and waiting. We're talking like a month and a half after auditioning, mm-hmm. my final audition. And they send me the facts through that awful fax paper material. Do yes. you remember the old It was one? like shiny and it would roll. Yes. And that's how, and it was, it was under my door in Rome. And it, and it was basically my agent saying, oh my God, you got it. He actually, there's no chance. Like there's zero chance you're getting this show. And I got it. And that was great. One of the things I find is fascinating is you've done one of the very first female, all female sports talk show. Yes. How hard, how hard was that to sell? It was not. Okay. It took a long time. I think that's what I mean. Exactly. Yeah. The right platform together. I. Uh, pioneers and spearheaders of this show, Suzanne Smith, who is, I don't know if she's still the all-female, the only female director in NFL, uh, but she's certainly one of the first. So she was a spearheader in this, uh, in getting this show together. Many other women that had probably tried for a very long time. So it took the time and the place. And it's a great show for people who haven't watched it. It's, I always say it's an awesome show with a horrible title. It's called We Need to Talk. Um, <laughs> we can't come up with a different title, but the people on there are amazing. And everything that we need to talk about is awesome. Um, and it's not just, everyone goes, oh, do you just talk about women's sports? And I say, no, we are women talking about sports. About sports. Yeah. <clears throat> Which, by the way, is the show I have been trying to sell for a thousand years, but no one takes me seriously as a sports person. <laughs> Well, you should come on our show. Oh, 100%. I was going to solicit you later. I was going to be like, are you guys auditioning? Yeah. Um, the show. I mean, if for, like, here's the deal, Melissa. We need to talk to real people what it's really like on the sideline as a parent. I mean, even just listening to you 
talk about how hard it is for you not to yell on the sidelines. And that's a really, that's a very real position to be in. And a lot of parents can learn from this. What are you like as a sports parent? I am. Uh, as you hesitate, trying no, to. I am like the opposite. <laughs> I, I, my husband's an Olympian also. Well, I'm going to get to him in a minute too, because I want to know how slowly he skied in the beginning. Yeah. To like be a gentleman and not embarrass you. Because I'm assuming he's a little bit better skier than you since he skied for the Olympics. And you ski, don't you? Oh, I'm a big skier. Yeah. So you would, in fact, you've been out here many times for the Tennessee event. Yes. Yes. I was just in Deer Deer Valley this year in March and skied the same, a year to the same week that I had my ACL surgery. Oh my gosh. Good for you. Getting Thank back you. out there. Yes, yeah. Oh, big, big deal. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a sports lunatic. Okay, good, good. So, so okay, so okay, was, yes. was, oh, he a, yeah. was he nice to you the first time you guys went skiing to make yes. you feel better? Well, not to make me feel better. He's just nice. Here's what's, gra- here's what's great about my husband. My husband's name is Eric Schlopey. Uh, Schlopey on, sh- on the slopes? Exactly. Because people <laughs> always, they'll say sloppy, and he's like, no, Schlopey, like ski slope slopey slope so he is technically one of the best skiers to ever hit the slopes he has many drills that youth do all around the world that he invented and are named after him so he loves the sport of skiing like nobody I've ever met I mean his dad's nickname was ski it runs in his blood and in his family so when he gets me out on the ski hill, which I ski on bluebird days, and like you, I love my Deer Valley corduroy groomers, um, he just enjoys the day. And so he'll kind of let me go, and then he'll ski behind me, and he does his beautiful, like, ridiculous arcing turns down the hill. And I just look at him, and I'm like, oh, you are amazing and so sexy at the same time. And then I just ski and he'll always, he'll always applaud me and say, Oh my God, you're doing so well. And you're, you're like amazing. My God, you haven't skied all year and you're doing amazing. So he boosts my ego and, but he never, because he knows how competitive I am and how far I got in my sport, he never sort of let me beat him in anything or do anything. He just sort of, he goes at his own pace and I go at my own pace. I do 5,000 turns to his one and it works. Did you know how to ski before you met him? I did. I did. I would make my dad and I skied together a ton. We could only go up because, you know, I lived in Sacramento or Roseville. So you go to Tahoe. Exactly. So we would go to Sugar Bowl, which was one of the closest. Boreal was the closest. And then Sugar Bowl was like an awesome resort we could make it to. We would get up super early in the morning. We were that family that's like, Slopes open at nine. I am, I'm getting my first run right away. I get my dollar's worth. I bring my own lunch. I am last on the, on the chairlift at four. And then we are hiking on the side of the highway to our car and driving home with the rest of the traffic on I-80. So my dad and I would try to do that on Sundays um, when we could, you know, when it fit in. So he didn't have to, so, so your husband didn't have to teach you to ski. No, he didn't teach me, but he gave me like amazing tips. So, you know, any skiers out there, you're such a good skier, but he gave me this one tip of you never, ever want your shoulders to turn with your turn. Always keep your shoulders in your front square with the bottom of the hill. That helped me so much. And then his mom told me, his mom was a ski instructor forever. 
And she said, your hands should always look like you're reading a newspaper. Oh, that's a good one. Boom. Right. Yeah. One, good one of the best things that was ever said to me was there's headlights on your shoulders mm-hmm. and they have to light your way. Perfect. Right. You know, it's the same yeah. thing. Then yeah. I was given one about when it's really, really steep. Always make sure when you're initiating your turn to make it like your uphill butt cheek is getting on a bar stool, which oh, I could relate to a lot later in life. <laughs> like, <laughs> totally, totally. I always knew like, oh, yeah, that's how you get up on a bar stool. <laughs> but I want to go back to being a sports parent because I am a horrific sports parent. My son plays lacrosse in college. Yeah. And, you know, first of all, again, one of the hardest things for me was losing the lacrosse community when he left for college. I'm still very good friends with all those people. Um, cause I'm competitive Yeah, and it's, you know, it's, it's, hard it's, it's hard. It's hard to sit on the sidelines and, and, you know, obviously you see things so much better. Um, kids are also, when they're in team sports, they're trying to figure out their confidence and where they sort of fit within the team. Should I be this aggressive over here? Should I leave that for another competitor? There's so much going on in the brains of an adolescent to try to figure out. Oh, so much and not just on the field. <laughs> totally, totally. It's all it's so much of it. So I my husband and I are great sports parents. We don't yell. Um, my son would always ask me to be at the end of his lane when he was swimming to cheer for him. Do they swim? They they both I sort of required both of them to be on swim team if they wanted to surf. Because I just don't take ocean swimming lightly. No. And the ocean is very serious to me. Um so I said, you need to be able to swim for like 45 minutes straight without a worry. So you, you, you both need to be on the swim team. And they did it. And my son, my, my daughter did it for a couple of years. And my son, Spider, did it for a couple of years. And then we actually moved to Spain for a year, wow. 2018 to 2019. Why? Um, okay, this is great. And I'll try to make it short. But now that we know my husband was an Olympian also, we both traveled internationally so much growing up. And to us, that was like the greatest form of education. So we wanted to gift our kids this experience of the way other cultures do life. And we wanted it to be a transformative time in their life. So we sort of chose, my daughter was going to be 13. So she turned 13 in Spain. My son was 11. Um, And we, okay, so we were going to do New Zealand. We love the culture of New Zealand and all that's special to us. But then my kids got into dual immersion. It's part of our public schools here in Park City. Mm-hmm. And so Spanish. So they learned, they were speaking Spanish in their classes from kindergarten until forever. So we said, oh, I think we need to make it language as well. So we chose Spain. Spain is Europe, close to a bunch of different countries. We traveled a ton. And we chose Santander, Spain, which is um, northern Spain, so that we could surf. Because we also wanted that aspect. And so the kids- Are you all surfers? We all love surfing. I, I try my hardest. It's not an easy sport no. for me, um, but I love it. And, I, and here's what I love about it. And this is, um, I love that you love it too, because yeah. you get the conversation that happens as a family when you see. Sitting out in the lineup, sitting yeah. out in the water. Yeah. Waiting for your waves. And you have some that you're like, you sing or you chat about life and it's so relaxing and calming. So we did that for a whole year and they, the kids did, um, it's the same as junior lifeguard. It's called Sacarismo y Salvamento. And they did junior lifeguard for the entire year in Spain. And I don't even know where that's going. But my son was really into swimming when he came back. And he would say to me, I want you to be at the end of my lane and cheer for me. 
And so I would, and I would just cheer for him and cheer for him. And, but yeah, my husband and I just kind of kicked back. We let the coaches do what the coaches do. If my kids, if our kids asked us for advice, we would give it to them. If they wanted tips, we would give it to them. Um, But yeah, at times you have to just, and, and know your spot. And I learned from my parents on this. Really? My parents knew their spot. Um, my dad didn't know a thing about swimming, but he really loved to have fun in life. And what he saw with his teenage girl was that she was spending all her time working for this one goal and she was probably stressed out. So he said, I'm taking you on vacation. So he went to my coach and said, I'm taking summer on vacation. You have these two weeks to choose from in January. When should we take her? And my coach said, no, 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 you can't take her on vacation in January. It's our heaviest training time. She can't be away. And my dad said, I think you're misunderstanding what I'm saying to you. I'm, I'm taking her away. Yeah. So you can either choose or I will choose. He took me on vacation. I had one of my best seasons that year. So much so that my coach, Mike Hastings, went back to my, my dad the next year and said, when are you taking summer on vacation again? So, you know, there is a place for parents and there's a place for coaches. And then there's a place for them to work together kind of for the mental health. Well, that brings us back to mental health. What sports do your kids play? My son is a ski racer. (gasps) Is that terrifying? No, it's awesome. But when he gets older and when he starts doing like hardcore super G and downhill, yeah, probably. But my daughter does three-day eventing. Oh, that now that's terrifying. Which is equally terrifying. Because I rode show jumpers and my parents, my mother, to the day she died, had to stand with her back to the ring when I was in there. Yeah. Because it was too much. And three-day eventing people are insane. Yeah. They're not, they're not right in the head. I was like, I will jump anything that will fall down when I hit it. I'm not right. jumping like these obstacles that are not moving. Yeah. And that's, that's for people who don't know three-day three eventing. That's is the, the cross-country is the yeah. scary part. Mm-hmm. Oof, and that's you've got, the big difference, yeah. You've got nerves of steel, and you are going to be paying a lot of money. Yeah, I know. We have, a, a, we have the horses at our house right now. So, and I Already, I, by the way, already horses. Yeah, I know. One is a little cute little pony, mm-hmm. a little, uh, little teeny tiny pony. How about their names are Cash for Johnny Cash? And June for June Carter. Oh, cute, right? Johnny and June. Johnny and June. So, yeah. what what else do you have? I mean, you have so much going on. I could talk to you forever. Like, I'm going. Like, how did you get into NBA? I know. Like, oh like it does, swimming and basketball. Big hands. Look big, at those nuts. Yeah, was they they have the only thing they do they have in, in common is people with big hands and big feet do well and tall. Yeah. So, but, but, you know, athletics, right? Isn't that interesting? Ahmad was my co-host, but he was a football player. Right. Um, so football, basketball go together. It's a ball sport, balls, different, totally different shape, kind of a different mentality, different body type for sure. But different sport. Yeah. Last time I checked. Yes. A different sport. Exactly. Um, I loved basketball, similar to the way you just love sports, right? Basketball for me. And I always feel so grateful and you probably feel this way too, we were alive during the Showtime Lakers, yeah. and then we got to watch Jordan. So Michael Jordan was my person. I traveled with his posters. I put them up in my hotel room. 
um, with toothpaste. It works. It does not take the paint off or the wallpaper. Good to know. Good to know. So I was diehard Jordan fan and everybody knew it after 92, kind of one of the perks of being the chosen one, as I was talking about, as your story gets told. Uh, so NBC says to me, Hey, after your final race in 1992, could we get an interview with you? Bob Costas would like to interview. I mean, I'm sitting here going, Bob Costas wants to interview me, but I tried to play this role and said, yeah, could I get four tickets to the dream team final? And they said, sure, no problem. So I took three of my girlfriends. We busted ass to the the finals of dream team. We were late. So we, we bribed the bus driver. It was, it was a public bus. We drive bribed the bus driver with some Olympic pins. So he doesn't make a single stop. He almost breaks the bus driving so fast. And we arrived there and, you know, highlight of my Olympics. And then I'm sitting there with my, my three friends and I look over and I go, Oh my God, you guys, that's a mod Rashad. And they say to me, who I'm like <laughs> inside stuff. Um, like, so I, and I was such an introvert. I just, I didn't do these things back then, but I said, if there's ever a time it's, at my Olympic games, I'm going to walk up to him and introduce myself. So I walked up to him and said, and he knew you and he knew me because he is, a, he's such a sports fan and he works right. for me and you know, so my giant hand went in his face and I said, Hey, I'm Rashad. My name is Summer Sanders. Huge fan. Love your show. So excited to meet you. And then, so that was 92, five years later, I started doing reporting for them. I mean, I was a big, big basketball fan. I loved the sport. I used to love to play it. My brother used to joke and say, oh my God, you're just like Cheryl Miller. And I'd go, really? I only learned like 10 years ago he was joking, but um, (laughs) I thought I had game. I mean, there was so many layers of this, but I really did love basketball. And and I loved the show. I really loved the show. So that's why. I I mean, I, 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 I'm terrified to ask this, but what's next? I mean, you're an author. Um, you're a spokesperson. You're a broadcaster. You have a million amazing charities. What, you know, which, uh, which I love, which really support the importance of athletics yeah. and being outside for kids. Yeah. I mean, you're married, you have two children, you're surviving a teenage daughter. Yeah. You know, I'm just happy. I only had a son. What, 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 what is the one thing you haven't done that you want to do? You know, and, and because I know your story and obviously your mom was such a huge influence on so many people, I just am trying to soak up my parents. I mean, to be really frank, there's one, one really amazing thing that I didn't know I was going to take home from living abroad in Spain is the importance of intergenerational living and existence on this planet. And um, my dad just turned 80. My mom is in her 70s. She broke her hip in February. And she's been with me for the whole month. And I've really tried uh, to pause for a second and remember every moment she gets with my kids that I get to witness and be a part of is another memory I just get to put in my pocket. And uh, I just don't, I don't want five years from now to realize, wow, I was so busy. I didn't soak up my mom's, you know, good last good years. She has a lot of good years ahead of her. But just, I know exactly what you mean. You know what I'm saying? And so, and funny enough, like we don't talk about that enough, right? Soak up your parents, make time for it, invite them and slow yourself down, wait for them. 
get out of the car and just wait for them for a second and, and go through your, sh- your grocery shopping a little bit slower so that you can, I don't know, laugh with them and have one more conversation in your day. So, so yeah, what do I want to do career wise? I just dabble. I dabble and do my stuff and try to be a positive influence, not only women in sports, women in television. I support my teammates, meaning all those awesome women like yourself. And I just want to be there and support you and and do that as much as I can, teach the younger generation to do that as well. Um, And then I I still love to work in television, my CBS show, and I, I get to play many different roles, which I really, really enjoy. Well, you are an absolute delight. I'm so excited that we got the chance to talk. Summer Sanders, thank you. Thank you. 